Our scripture reading for this morning is Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And this is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. I already used my prayer, so I won't pray now. So um, this is kind of a, a one-off sermon in the middle between the Advent series, and we're getting ready to kick off in Matthew. Super excited about that. Um, I heard recently from a good source that the McNew children have dubbed me the longest-winded preacher, um, which I didn't believe, but then I went and looked, and apparently that's true. So just for their own heart, I, I sat down this morning at 7 a.m. to look over my sermon. It was five pages then, now it is 13 pages long, so God have mercy on you all. Buckle up, there's donuts, and there is coffee if you need it. I wanted to give us, I don't really like, um, it's hard to preach like one-off sermons, it's hard to like preach a topical sermon. This is really not a topical sermon, it's, we're going to exposit the text here this morning. It's hard to jump in the middle of something without like the context of the whole book and the context of the chapter. So I want to remind you as we jump into this, what Paul has encouraged the church here that he's writing to in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. We referenced this verse, this this passage, these two verses quite a bit in our series in Hebrews. This is really the key to um, a life of worship. This is really the key to righteous living. Verses 1 and 2 of Romans 12, and that will kind of help set the the trajectory for us, the context of what we're going to jump into in our text this morning. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul has, as he usually does throughout the letter to the Romans here, grounded us in solid doctrine. And then now he's going to give us application. And, and he kind of makes that transition here in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. And he's saying, my appeal to you, or my, uh, my ammunition, my uh, weightiness, that by which I will persuade you that you should go and live likewise, go and live righteous, is the mercies of God. I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God. When you consider the mercies of God, when you consider God's kindness, His overwhelming goodness to you in the year of 2023, how could you not seek to serve Him even more zealously in 2024? Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You are not your own. You are bought with a price. You are not free to do what you will. You belong to King Jesus, and everything that you have, your very life, is at his disposal. So I'd like to give you from our text here that that Blake read for us this morning, in light of Paul's appeal that we should serve the Lord because of his great mercy to us, this is the only reasonable response is your worship. I'd like to give you six things that I hope that CTL is known for in this next year. So six things that CTL is known for in 2024. I haven't given this uh, sermon a title, and if you want to give it a title, it's that. Six things I hope CTL is known for in 2024. We are going into 2024, right? Cool. Some of you are looking at me very strangely, and I thought, maybe I got the years wrong. In your Bibles, you'll see uh, the heading right above the portion that we read this morning, starting in verse 9 there, probably a heading that says something like the marks of a genuine believer. In my Bible, it says the marks of a true Christian. Paul says this is what a true Christian is supposed to look like, and we will not look at uh, the list in its entirety this morning. It actually goes into chapter 13, and unless Matt lets me preach part 2 next week, we're just going to deal with the, the verses here today. He's grinning at me, though, so I probably shouldn't have said that. 
What should we be known for? When others think of Christ the Lord Church, its members, and I hope that you understand that, that the church is not a building, the church is you. The church came today to worship in this auditorium, in this building. The church is now assembled at 1500 Huffman Avenue, and the church will disperse and go to your home addresses, your work addresses, to your places of recreation and places of fellowship. You are the church. What is the church supposed to look like? When others think of CTL, I pray that they think of these six things, and we'll just use our text here this morning to lay those out. First of all, CTL has genuine love, verse 9. Christ the Lord Church has genuine love. Let love be genuine. Let me remind you that love is not something that you fall into. Genuine Christian biblical love is not something that just comes upon you, that you stumble into. The the world would have us think through its many romantic movies and novels and just the idea of what love is and horrible Taylor Swift songs, that love is something that comes upon you and you are swept away off your feet. When in reality, when you speak of like um, love between a man and a woman, there's attraction there that you have. And then love is something that you grow in. Love is something that you learn. Love is work. Love is hard work. Genuine love is really, really hard work. It is the same kind of uh, work that we were talking about in our, our series in Hebrews. It's something that you have to strive for. It's something that you have to make every effort for. Jesus himself in John reminds his followers that the world will know that we are his followers by our love, specifically our love for one another, for our love for fellow believers. All right, so it would be out of context to take that and just sprinkle it across everything. And a lot of times the world likes to throw that in Christians' face and say, well, you know, you're supposed to be known by your love, and that doesn't seem very loving. Well, in the context of what Jesus is saying, he's saying the world will know that you are my disciples by how much you love the brethren, how much you love the church, how much you love your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Side note, there's probably going to be lots of side notes, by the way, because there's just a bunch of bullet points in my notes, and they're all scattered. Uh, So there'll be lots of soapboxes probably during this sermon. Side note, don't ever let the world define what a Christian's supposed to look like. That's just a side note. 2024, that's free. Don't let the world define what a Christian is supposed to look like. We have too many churches that let the world define what a church is supposed to look like because they say it's not loving or accepting whatever. That's hogwash. The Bible defines what a solid church is supposed to look like. Christians who have the Spirit of God define it. So don't let the world do that. That one's free. I'll move on now. Love is work. We don't simply fall into it. Love just doesn't come upon you. So when he's talking about genuine love, he's saying here that you cannot simply wait around to have uh, nice, sentimental feelings towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, and then you may act. No, genuine love loves even when it doesn't feel like it. Genuine love loves the unlovable and the unlovely. If you go to 1 Corinthians 13, again, make sure that you're reading that in the context of the whole letter. Paul talks about how love is patient, it's kind. It, it does not take failure as final. And so this kind of love that we're supposed to have for one another is not something that you can just kind of wait around for good feelings because you might not have very good feelings all the time about your brothers and sisters in Christ sitting around in the pews around you. You might not have uh, the best of feelings towards your spouse, towards your kids. Do you 100% all the time just float around in this lovely, like Disney-type love towards those around you? No. No, and that's what the world has swallowed. And in fact, the world has swallowed it so much that it says now that if they don't feel that love anymore, then it's okay to abandon those relationships. My wife was recently talking to a group of uh, non-believers, and one lady said in the midst of the conversation that she was leaving her husband of several years. They had like three kids. She was leaving him. She was divorcing him. And they inquired why. Well, first they all cheered, except for my wife, um, that she was divorcing her husband of many years with several kids. And when asked why, she said, oh, he's a great guy. Hasn't cheated on me, been faithful to me, great father. I just don't feel like I love him anymore. 
And that was lauded. It was championed. It was cheered. Except for my wife. She did a good job speaking the gospel. And that's the kind of lie that our world is bought into. And that's the kind of lie because it always seems that churches who are foolish and not grounded in the scriptures, well, this will always happen, doesn't seem, it will always happen if they're not grounded in the scriptures, will try to follow the world in order to win the world. We have the same type of mentality. Well, I just don't feel like I'm being cared for in this church, so it's okay for me to just abandon completely the covenant that I made with this church and leave. I don't feel like um, volunteering for this, so it's okay for me not to. I don't feel a certain affinity towards this particular ministry, so I don't really feel like I have to serve in that. No, genuine love is hard work, whether you feel like it or not. And in fact, I would say that when you do not feel like it is the, and you go ahead and do it, that is the time when your love is the most genuine. When it doesn't feel like it, when it's not all happy and fuzzy, but you persevere through it, an accomplishment in obedience to our Lord's command, walking in faith and repentance, that's when genuine love is to be seen in your life. That's when it is. When, it, when it's like, I really don't want to have this hard conversation with my spouse, and you do it anyway, that's genuine love because it's God-honoring, and you truly love them, and so you want to call them to repentance. The same thing is true with your brothers and sisters in Christ. When you really want to have to discipline your kids, I had to spank my kids at 6.30 in the morning this week one time. It's like, you know, we're supposed to kind of have a bit of a lighter week, and, you know, I was hoping they would sleep in. Anytime you hope they sleep in, they get up even earlier. I was like, it's dark and cold, and I'm spanking both the boys in the bathroom. That's genuine love. I didn't feel like it. Well, it's okay for me to let it slip. Genuine love is truly seen when you don't feel like loving. Jesus demonstrates this kind of genuine love in his obedience to the Father in the Garden of Gethsemane. He, he wasn't clicking his heels and super excited to go to the cross. In fact, he asked the Father, is there another way? I don't particularly feel like having to do this. Yet not my will but yours be done. Genuine love. The word here, love, that he's using in our text is, is, is agape love. You're probably not unfamiliar with that word. And this is a divine love. It's the love that God loves us with. This overflowing, not deserved, unconditional love that pours forth from this perfect being. And he is saying here that it's the same kind of love that we should demonstrate to each other. And I'll make sure I'm clear here. He's talking about marks of a Christian. He's talking about love to the community of Christ. He, he transitions later to talk about the world and love for the world, and there'll be a time for us to go into that perhaps in the future. I'm teaching a class on evangelism. We'll get, get into that there. But this here specifically is love for each other, for the body of Christ, okay? And it's an agape love. It's a love that flows forth the same kind of love that God has for us. The, the means, I'll give you a couple of subpoints under this one here. The means of this genuine love is supernatural. The means of this genuine love is the Holy Spirit who has poured into your hearts God's love. You are incapable. You are not able to love in this type of a way. Your love will always be, even if it is sacrificial, even to the point of death, outside of Christ, your love will always be self-serving at the end of the day for what you can get, all right? But, but since the Holy Spirit has poured into us God's love that we did not deserve, we are by his power enabled to love in this same type of divine love for each other. So the means of this genuine love is supernatural. The means of this genuine love comes from God. So if you don't, people running around talking about what love is, love is love, I'll define what love is, I've fallen out of love, so on and so forth. I can leave because I don't feel loved, whatever. If, if the means of genuine love comes from God, then God is the one who de decides and determines what love is. You can't love properly if you don't know who love is, and God himself is love, genuine love, and therefore we must be in Christ to be able to truly love. Christians, people who are in Christ, true believers, are the only ones on planet Earth who are capable of genuine love. This type of agape, self-sacrificial, pouring out 
y'all who are believers, those who are believers on planet earth, those who have gone before, those who are come, who are in Christ, are the only ones capable of this genuine love. This is the means of our love. It is divine. It is supernatural. You cannot do it in your own strength. If you seek to do it in your own strength, you will find yourself frustrated. You will find yourself loving people with what I think it was Tim Keller called a hungry love, just for what I can get. Oh, I'll sacrifice. I'll go traverse land and sea, but it's for my own benefit. I'll sacrifice and call it love because I didn't tell my wife no, just because I don't want to have to have the argument, and it's self-serving. It's not because you've laid your life down for her, no. Genuine love would have probably told her, no. Genuine love would have spanked the kid. Get the point? So what is then, if that's the means, then what's the motivation? The motivation is, he's already said, I appeal to you by the mercies of God. The motivation is that we love because God has first loved us. John says this, that we love because he first loved us. First John 4, 9, and this is love. And the love of God was made manifest, that God sent his only son into the world, that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that God has loved us and has sent his son to be propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, this is your motivation to love each other when you don't feel like it. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. All right? God abides in us, and this divine love in us, it says in 1 John 9, or excuse me, 4, 9 through 12, is being perfected in us. So that is the motivation. So, Father, I thank you that you have poured into me by the Holy Spirit this ability to be able to love my brothers and sisters in Christ. Help me to remember that the only reason I'm able to love them is because of that, and the reason I should love them is because you have first loved me, and you abide in me. You have loved me, and I also should love them. This is not a suggestion. This is a command, all right? Some of us sometimes are only prone to love others if we feel that they are worth our time, like a a good investment. You might approach discipleship this way. Now, there's a place... Don't hear me wrong, love has boundaries, right? Genuine love has boundaries, genuine love can say no, genuine love, we'll see here in just a minute, obviously uh, eradicates sin, but oftentimes we feel like, is it really worth me investing in this person? Now, there is a place for us to evaluate our time and steward it well in, in those areas, yes, of course. Perhaps your time discipling this person might be a little bit better than discipling this person, But if there is a spirit in you that says, this person's really not worth my time, or they are not worthy of my love, because they have to do X, Y, and Z in order to earn that, then you are in sin. We are commanded to love. So number one, there is this means of love, which is divine. Number two, it is motivated um, by God's mercy. And regardless of how you feel about it right now, if you're a Christian, you're commanded to love. This is the commandment that we have from him, that whoever loves God must also love his brother. So, didn't say, and we'll talk about this here in a minute, doesn't say you necessarily have to like each other. Some of you are like, oh, thank God. We'll talk about that in a minute, because I think we could do better in there. But you are commanded to love each other. So examine your heart. Ask you to examine your heart and say, do I love others especially those in the church without hypocrisy. Let love be genuine. Let love be without hypocrisy. Is your love a hypocritical imitation love, an outward conformity love, a love in words only and not in deeds? Perhaps this is true. If the answer is uncertain, then go to God and ask him. Go to your church members, your family, and ask them if they think that your love is genuine. Everything that uh, Paul lays out here for us in the next verses is grounded in this let love be genuine, okay? Without this divine, genuine, self-sacrificial, God-like love for each other, you're not going to be able to do the rest of this stuff. Here's the next thing I hope that CTL is known for. CTL abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. It abhors what is evil and holds fast to what is good. Here, Paul guards love 
from becoming hypocritical. This is where he guards love from just being, you know, this boundless thing that we can define on our own. This is, this is where he completely, the scriptures completely obliterate the idea that love is love and I get to choose it because it says that if we actually truly love with this divine love in our love for each other, then that we will abhor what is evil. And the Bible dis, discerns or d- demands and commands what is evil and what is good and we will hold fast to what is good. Any act of love that commits evil is in contradiction to genuine love. Because love, true genuine love, grasps, holds on to, clings to tenaciously what is good. And Jesus said, if you love me, you will what? You will keep my commandments. So all of the love that we have for each other, too, let me add this. All the love that we have for each other first has to be a love that we, we have towards God. Right? Our, our life first is between our heart and God. If you have a hard time loving people, it's because you do not properly love God. If you have a hard time hating evil, it's because you don't love God. You don't understand God's hatred of evil. So the question you could ask yourself this morning is, do I hate evil? If you love the Lord, then you are commanded to hate evil. The psalmist says this in Psalms 97, Oh, you who love the Lord, it's very simple, hate evil. Hate it with every fiber of your being. First of all, hate the evil in yourself. And with accuracy and intent to root it out, root it out with potency. It is deadly. Is your hatred for evil and your love for good seen in the decisions that you make day to day? Is hatred for evil and love for good seen in what you watch, what you put before your eyes, what you listen to, who you hang out with, who you let your kids hang out with, how you dress? Not just just dressing modestly, but dressing appropriately for God's glory for the occasion that that meets the occasion, how you eat, how you work, how you vote, what you laugh at, what angers you, what concerns you. Is your hatred for evil and your love for good seen in these things day to day? Do you hate sin? Do you hate it in yourself? Do you hate it in your fellow churchmen? Sin is the thing that divides community. Sin and evil is the thing that separates close friends. Genuine love hates anything that comes between the thing that is loved. Right? So, so I love my wife passionately, and I will fight anything that would try to come in between that. And I don't just mean like somebody who would want to do her physical harm, but I mean the things in myself the sins in myself that would seek to come between the commitment and the love that I have for her, the sacrifice I'm supposed to have for her, the, the way I'm supposed to lead her, I, would, I must fight anything passionately that comes in between that, that would threaten that. If I don't, it is not genuine love. Anything, anything that would seek to separate us from that love. If we love Jesus and his church, we should hate anything that would hinder the church's mission, anything that would disrupt the church's unity, anything that would bring disgrace to the name of Christ. But oftentimes, we're only concerned about our own name. Do you hold fast to cultivate and celebrate what is good? A mark of a true believer is that they will hate evil But that is not the only thing that we can be known for, friends, okay? Brothers and sisters, we cannot just be known for the things that we hate, although we should be. We should be, but what do we do about that? We also must be uh, known for the things that we hold dear, the good that we hold fast to. You can go all around all day declaring what you are against and what you hate and put it all over Facebook and Twitter, but, but at the end of the day, if you don't do something about it, it, it doesn't do any good. It just rolls into cyberspace. It just creates a bunch of people arguing and doing nothing. 
And Lord have mercy, if we need anything this next year, is we need people actually building the kingdom in flesh and blood instead of online. Less building on Twitter and more building in real life. Less building on Facebook and more building on the foundations that we have in flesh and blood. The most effective way to eradicate evil is overcoming it by good. We hate divorce by being faithful to our marriage covenant. We hate abortion by having babies and loving our little ones and serving in kids' church. We care well for the lives of our covenant family from the womb to the tomb. We, we hate the LBGTQ agenda by cultivating strong family units and celebrating God's ordained roles for husbands and wives. We overcome the culture's war against masculinity by building, God's, uh, by building men who are, by God's grace, men who are robust, faithful, and deadly to sin, and who use their strength to serve the king and to protect, lead, and build. We hate evil, corrupt, tyrannical governments by voting biblically. And better yet, running for local office so you can actually make a difference in your neck of the woods. We hate unjust corporations by starting our own businesses. And the list goes on and on and on and on. This is how we overcome evil. We take over, right? And if that makes you nervous or uncomfortable or you think, no, Christians aren't supposed to take over, you have missed the mission of the church. You have missed the great commission that is supposed to go forth and to not just proclaim the good news of salvation, but command every knee to bow. Teach them to observe everything that Christ has commanded. Is this what your day-to-day -day life looks like? Has 2023 looked like this? Have you been overcoming evil by building, holding fast to and building what is good? Fighting is good. Fighting is great. I want to be surrounded by people who can fight, okay? For the right things in the right way. But you also have to fight through building, right? Fighting looks different now than it did in the Crusades or whatever, right? I kind of wish I could have a sword in my hand. Recently, my wife told me I liked to fight. Not her, but other people, of course. And I said, that's not true of me, but I think it is. Hate evil, hold fast to what is good, and outbuild all the God-haters. Like, work harder than them all, okay? Number three, CTL loves one another with brotherly affection, and they outdo one another in showing honor. I hope that we are known for this this year. Uh, CTL loves one another with brotherly affection. They outdo one another in showing honor. This is a, a familial love. This is a family love. This love looks like commitment it's the same love that, that a biological, a good, healthy biological family is supposed to have. When he talks about commitment to the church, it's the same kind of language that we use in marriage vows. Right? Like, again, you don't fall into love. Right? You, you're attracted to somebody and you begin to grow in love to them. It's been said that, that love, in, in a marital relationship, love brings you to your marriage covenant and then now the covenant keeps your love. Because I don't always feel like loving my spouse. I don't always feel like loving you guys, but I have been put into a commitment. I have made a commitment, and therefore that is what I will do. So help me God till, till I die, till death do us part. This is what we are called to do. The, the, the word love here is a, is a Greek translation. He's using two different kinds of love. It's a, it's a friendship love and a family love. One translation says, be devoted with warm family affection to one another in brotherly love. <laughs> Think about each of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you have a warm family affection towards them all the time? Some of you just, thank you for your honesty. Some of you just shook your head no. But this is what we are called to. Family-type devotion to one another. It's more than friendship. It's more than acquaintance. It's more than, well, I go to church and I'm kind of with these people because I'm committed to kind of this church. And, no, I am, I am bonded to these people. I have made a covenant with these people. And if you, if you love each other with this family affection, the natural byproduct will be 
outdoing one another and showing honor. The natural byproduct will be outdoing one another and showing honor. Healthy families have a mutual respect for one another. Healthy families lift each other up. Healthy families serve one another. They defer to one another. They take pleasure in elevating each other. And I wonder if this is in the forefront of your mind as you pull into the parking lot here on Sunday mornings and into your home groups. How may I outdo everybody in that building, everybody in that house in honoring them? How may I do that? Oftentimes when we pull into these places, it is it is us in the forefront of our mind getting our meads net through the singing of a song or I hope the sermon is good or hope somebody says hi to me or, or, or I hope the food's good tonight, right? At home group. Or we just don't think about it at all. We're, we're, just, we're here, we're doing the same old thing. We come, we sit, we go. Oftentimes, it's not in the forefront of our minds. Oftentimes, what's in the forefront of our minds is what directly serves us. And speaking of love, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says that love is, here's something simple that you can do. Love is kind. Love is kind. It is inclined to perform good to others. It is, it is good-natured. The, the root word, word here in 1 uh, Corinthians when it talks about kind is, is it does good to others. It seeks to do good to, to others. And not included in our text here today in verse 16, if you can go and read this on your own time, maybe you can get into this in your home group discussion. It says, not to be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never be wise in your own sight. The literal meaning here to associate, associate with the lowly is give yourself to lowly task. Giving yourself to lowly task in, in the in the elevation and the honoring and the serving of your brothers and sisters in Christ. Give yourself to lowly task. And the reason that we don't show honor to our fellow churchmen is that we think ourselves higher than we should. Because he says, don't be wise in your own sight. And oftentimes the reason we don't show honor is because we have a much higher opinion of ourselves than we should. We believe that others should serve us. Or we think that perhaps we're above the task. Never forget, as a young man, growing up in a pastor's home, watching my dad serve for, well, he'll be retiring this year, 47 years, same place, 50 years of ministry, faithful ministry. Um, 47 years, same place, and uh, same woman he's been married to. I remember seeing him in his suit and tie, plunging toilets, taking out trash, holding umbrellas for the widows as they walked in, in the rain. It was a good example to me of not thinking higher of myself than I should, giving myself to a lowly task that I may honor those who are my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. Here in a minute, in uh, verse 13, Paul will give us two tangible ways to honor our church family, and we'll talk about those here in just a minute for application. But in verse 15 of, our, of chapter 12, he says that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. You know, in order to be able to obey this command, you have to know what's going on in the life of your brothers and sisters in Christ. You have to know what's going on in your church family. And please, let's not be the church that gives spiritual platitudes and hallmark responses to each other. Let's not be content when we say, hey, how are you doing this morning? When somebody says, fine, and they move on quickly, right? Lift your eyes up. Have eyes of compassion. The Good Samaritan simply had eyes of compassion to see and did what little good he could. And sometimes, as your brothers and sisters in Christ come here, fulfilling rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep is going to have to start with you simply lifting your eyes up off yourself and your situation and putting them on the Lord Jesus, which will then in turn put them on your brothers and sisters in Christ in ways that you can encourage them. And you can't know what's going on in your brothers and sisters in Christ's lives without being around them. My goodness, you might have to talk to them. You can't do it if you're disengaged here at church. And you can't really do it if you only try to do it at the designated church slot, Sunday morning, home group, DNA. You're going to have to cultivate in your heart a spirit of generosity and hospitality, which we'll talk about here in just a minute. 
to know what's going on in their lives, you're going to have to talk to them. Know them. Go beyond the common greetings. And I'm speaking here of our covenant members, okay? So if you're not a covenant member you, and you want to be, which I hope you will be, and join us, you can grow into this. But I'm speaking of our covenant members here. Do you know the names of everybody in this room right now? And when we have everybody here, do you know the names of everybody in our covenant family? And you say, don't come to me and say, well, we don't have a church directory. Don't do that. I've done church directories my whole life. Nick knows what I'm talking about. Done are the days of church directories, right, Nick? And those JCPenney backgrounds, and then they try to sell you the little wallet cards. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. And those of you do know, and you're the real ones, all right? We're not doing that one. We're, we're not some ginormous megachurch, y'all, right? You know, how, you know how you get to know somebody's name? I'll tell you. You walk up to them and you ask. Like, but I don't know, I've been coming here for like years and I don't know their name. Well, humble yourself and go to them and repent and find out their name. Do you know the names of the kids? Go beyond and do you know the names of um, grandparents and, and family members that they've asked prayer for? Do you know anniversaries and birthdays? And yes, there is a place to develop systems to help us with this. I was really encouraged. You, you ladies don't know that I, I have, um, a, I can see the ladies' um, uh, what's the thing called? Signal thing? I wish I couldn't, but I can. Uh, no, I'm joking. I can see that sucker, and I wake up one day, and it's like 250 messages, and I'm like, what's going on? And somebody's asking about diaper recommendations, and I'm like, wow, that's, wow, I learn all sorts of stuff. So sometimes I'm like, I find myself like wanting to like something. I'm like, well, I'm not supposed to be in here. And the guys is just nothing but smack talk. It's just back and forth smack talk. That's all it is. That's all it is. Everybody just made fun of Rusty's Christmas tree this year, which was appropriate, by the way. Um, that was like Charlie Brown's Christmas tree had a Frankenstein baby. It was weird. <laughs> is it still up? Did you burn it yet? I, if, when you burn it, we make sure there's lots of crosses around because some demons are going to come out of that sucker. Anyway, <laughs> see, this is the problem when I don't have really good notes. Um, but I was really encouraged. I'm really encouraged. You know, somebody I'm really encouraged with is Audrey Steelman. She always seems to, and I know some of it's because Facebook and these other things help us with dates and anniversaries and birthdays, but she always makes it a point to come on and say, hey, happy birthday to so-and-so. Happy birthday to so-and-so. That, that's the simple brotherly affection outdoing each other with honor. That, that's what we're talking about here. It's really simple, tangible things. Baking cookies. When, when a kid is, is uh, you know, a little bit squirmy, Ask him, Mom, if you can be the one to take him out and, and bounce him around and keep him occupied so she can sit in the service. And Mom, letting him do that. This is the tangible kind of stuff we're talking about here, right? Do you know their sorrows? Do you know the sorrows of your brothers and sisters in Christ in this room this morning? Do you know their joys? We're supposed to weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you know their joys? Do you know their sorrows? Well, they're crying during a sermon, maybe you should go ask them why. And if you're the person who is being asked, hey, why were you crying during the sermon? You should tell them. It's appropriate. You should tell them. Confess your sins one to another so we can pray for one another. What's the worst thing you ever did? Jesus forgave it, so get over yourself. All right? Stop trying to hide it. These people are vital to your sanctification. These are simple, tangible things that we can do. We don't need to overcomplicate this stuff. We should be the people, a people who weep and laugh together. And if you're an introvert, speak up. Walk. It's okay. If you're introverted, it's okay. Don't use your introverted um, nature as an excuse to sin. Speak up in home group. You are potentially sinning by denying your brothers and sisters in Christ the opportunity to hold you accountable to love and good works. Potentially, if you don't speak up. If you're an extrovert, shut up, all right? Just shut up. Sometimes extroverts, like myself, can do lots of talking and think that we're doing good, and in fact, we're just rolling over everybody. This is a sensitivity and a mindfulness that gets our eyes off of ourself onto Christ, and through his lens, we see the needs, the joys, the sorrows, the rejoicing, the weeping of our brothers and sisters in Christ, and we can live in this brotherly affection. How do you start with these things? Oh, 
come to church, come to home group. You can love this this brotherly love and through showing honor to one another by just being committed to the things that we have provided. Come early. Come early. Leave late. Leave late so that you can obey these commands. Follow the example of your elders. We come early. On a regular basis, there's things that happen, of course, but we come early and we leave late, not simply because there's tasks for us to do, but we are trying to obey these commands. Come early, leave late. Sunday mornings, come to Sunday school. Come to Sunday school. Be committed to it. You need the teaching. If you don't feel that the given topic is relevant to you, then repent of your pride and pick one. And if you're giving yourself a pass because, well, life is busy, well, life is always busy, repent of your busyness, order your affairs, and honor your brothers and sisters in Christ, and come and serve them. Serve those who are teaching the classes by being there. This is an eagerness that we should have to be. It's like, this is the kind of people we should be. Every chance we get to be with our brothers and sisters in Christ, we should jump at it with joy because it's an opportunity for me to serve them, to love them, and to exalt the name of my Savior through my honoring of them. And if you're not serving in kids, by the way, you should be. That's a side note as well. You should be. They are the least among us, and you should be serving them. Be faithful to your home groups, your DNAs, family feast. All right, when you, we encourage you like this morning to come early and bring food, praise God, many of you did, some of you didn't, come to these things, all right? And if you think it's just about showing up, though, to the events, then you're kind of missing the whole point, all right? These are opportunities for you, these are springboards for you to go and to do likewise. Right? We're going to be a people of the same mind, a people on mission who build the kingdom of God in Dayton, Ohio, then we're going to have to give ourselves to this brotherly affection and this outdoing one another and showing honor, this hating what is evil, holding fast to what is good, and this genuine love more than just Sunday mornings, Sunday school, home groups, doxes, and DNAs. You're going to have to open up your homes. You're going to have to open up your lives. You're going to have to clear your schedules. You're going to have to make space in your budget. We've, we've, we've made this, um, we've, made, we've swallowed this lie in our culture that being a good Christian is just showing up to church when the doors are open instead of emulating these things and living these things all the time. And, and I'm thankful to pastor a church where people, people aren't stuck in that, but it's easy for us to drift into that. Right? And what I'm about to talk about here in just a second about zeal is I'm saying more, right? Let's turn up the heat a little bit this next year. Let's love better, let's honor more, let's, let's serve the Lord and build in a greater way. And I'm not saying, again, <laughs> I'm not saying that you have to be best, best buddies with everybody, but it's interesting because anytime preachers, including myself, talk about genuine love in the church, they always make sure they caveat it with saying, well, you don't have to be best buddies with anyone. And usually that comes from like megachurch, you know, or big church pastors, because it's literally not possible to be best buddies with everybody. And so I'm not saying that you have to be best buddies, like bosom friends with everybody. But I think it would be a good thing to try. I think developing biblical friendships amongst these people right here, letting these friendships of the people in this room outrank the friendships of the people that we have in the world, would be a really, really good thing. We don't have time to go into it and, and uh, into a deep dive, but just let me, let me read you this quote. Let me read you this quote here. You know, you know, the reason I've said already that the reason that, that, um, that community is shattered, that friendships are shattered, is because of sin. So let me, let me read this here. This is a quote from Steve Wilkins. He wrote a book about hospitality and friendship from face to face. We talked about this in our hospitality class. If you need donuts and coffee, by the way, go get it now. Um, okay, good. The clearest evidence that we live in a degenerate culture is the fact that we practice so little genuine biblical friendship. Even the world, even, excuse me, even the word friend itself has become a hollow term drained of its biblical content and weight. It is precisely 
This is precisely what we should expect as the influence of God's covenant wanes in a culture and the culture gradually becomes more brutal and more barbaric and true friends become hard to find. You talk to people in the world and you talk about friendship and they're like, man, true friends are hard to find. They write country music songs about it, right? You find out who your friends are when times are hard. And that's not the way it's supposed to be. Sin is the thing that has severed friendship. Sin is the thing that severed our relationship and our friendship, if you will, with God, right? Severed relationship with Adam and Eve and God. It severed relationship with Adam and Eve's descendants. Right? He talks about in Ecclesiastes how the uh, friendless, the wicked, they are friendless and they are alone and they are slaves to sin and they have nowhere to turn. He goes on and he says, society and community begins to die out when we live in this friendlessness because sin isolates men from one another. Sin by its very nature is a proud, selfish insistence on going one's own way and such it cuts a man off from everyone around him. Wherever a society tolerates sin and covenant-breaking, loneliness becomes the common problem with that society, and its citizens begin to think of true friends as a luxury, not as a necessity. You need each other. Not just loving each other, but you need good biblical friends. And I pray that we see an overflow of brotherly affection and outdoing one another and showing honor and a deeper friendship with one another. These should be your friends. These should be the people that you do life with. Why? Like, yes, develop friendships with non-believers so that they can become believers. And be real friends that show genuine love. Number four, we got, we got a truck here, all right? Number four, B-boys, you doing good? Okay, good. All right, I'm, I'm gonna go even longer for you guys, okay? TTL is not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. They serve the Lord. TTL is not slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. It serves the Lord. So Paul says, love, hates what is evil, loves what is good, uh, outdo one another and showing honor, brotherly affection. And he's saying, now you need to do this with like all your heart. This is where we're going we're gonna to really pick up speed, all right? Zeal is great energy or enthusiasm in pursuit of a cause or an objective. Zeal is a great energy or enthusiasm in the pursuit of a cause or an objective. The whole of the believer's life is for the glory of God and the advancement of God's kingdom. Ecclesiastes says, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Work for the Lord and not for men, we are encouraged in the New Testament. He calls us to a great energy and enthusiasm in the pursuit of a holiness and the cause of Christ. And some of you walk in the pursuit of holiness and the cause of Christ, but you drag your feet, humdrum. But if you understand the mercies of God which have been lavishly poured out upon you, it should create in you an obedience that is full of joy. Duty is not dirty. Genuine love does it even when it doesn't feel like it, right? But there should be a joy that is brought about as we serve our maker. Human nature, though, always seems to take over, and it always seems to be like, in the light of zeal and not being slothful in the zeal, it always seems to try to figure out how um, little it can do to get by. Actually, one time, one of our pastors had, a long time ago, had a, a young man say, when we were talking about serving in the church, he was becoming a member. He said, how little do I have to do in order to become a member? <laughs> okay. We need to start over, right? And he left. Um, we were ready to talk about it. He left. Um, but oftentimes, isn't this the case? Like He's saying, don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. But it's like, how little do I have to do to get by? Like uh, That's the approach that we often take, right? God gave himself, the Titus 2 says, to redeem us from our lawlessness and to purify for himself a people of his own possession who are zealous for good works. Like the passionate, like energetic, enthusiastic 
pursuit of holiness and righteousness. And here it works its way out in brotherly love, outdoing one another with showing honor, genuine love, hating of evil, holding fast to what is good. So a good question for you to ask yourself is, are you slothful in zeal? Are you lazy? Are you lazy when it comes to the work of the kingdom? Do you find that you have too much time on your hands? And some of you will say, no, 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 I'm way too busy. My schedule is very full, but perhaps it is full, but it's not full with the things of the Lord. It is full with the things of this world. Instead of zeal in the service of the Lord, you're just kind of going day to day, and life is just happening to you. There's no dominion being taken, right? Some of you are idle. How do you know if you're idle? I'll give you a quick list of a few things, not exhaustive, but some of you are idle, all right? Here's a, here's, a, here's, a, um, here's a mark to know if you're idle. You get in other people's business. You're a busybody. You go house to house, get in other people's business. Second Thessalonians 3, Paul is um, telling the church there at Thessalonica, now this is for people who won't actually go out and work and who are taking advantage of uh, some of the wealthy members there, their generosity. The same point applies here. He says to excommunicate them because of their idleness. He says to excommunicate them because of their laziness, to admonish them to work hard. Right? Now, again, he's talking about actual working. He says that those who wouldn't provide for their family and not work are worse than non-believers. But the same point applies. He says, because if you're not busy, you will become idle and in 1 Timothy 5, he says, besides that, they learn to be idlers, going about from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things that they should not. Right? And Paul says at the end of this, the end of uh, their, their busybodiness and their gossipness led to excommunication. Right? One, of the, one of the signs that you might be idle is you get in people's business, and then you get mad because your nose gets poked because right? you stuck your nose in it and it got poked and you get mad, stay out of people's business, right? Uh, another mark is that you come up with good works for others to do, but you're not willing to do themselves. Jesus says the Pharisees, they tie heavy burdens on people's backs, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move that. It's really easy to come up with ministries and things that the church should be doing in order to advance. And, and we, we welcome your ideas. We welcome those things for sure. A lot of that is the zeal that you have. Like, hey, what about this? What about that? First, let's be faithful to the things that we've assigned. And then let's make sure we're doing those things with all of our heart. And if God has called you to a certain ministry, then, then if it's in line with the mission of the church, then do it. doesn't mean that somebody else has to do it all the time. But it's an indication that we're idle if we're coming up with good works for others to do, but we're not willing to do them themselves. Another sign that you're idle is that you strain at gnats and swallow camels. You spend a lot of time, amen, Charlie, you spend a lot of time um, majoring on the minors and minoring on the majors. How do you say that? You know what I mean? You strain out gnats, you, you nitpick. Probably because you have too much time on your hands. Like, gentlemen especially, I don't know how we have time for other stuff if we're going to give ourselves to the leading of our family and the building of God's kingdom, like, I fall in bed really tired, and you should too. There's not much time for other things. Don't strain at gnats. Don't major on the minors. Don't make mountains out of molehills. And if you do, perhaps you have too much time on your hands, and it needs to be given to the kingdom. Um, <laughs> there's another way to put this. Some of you are just straight lazy. You work a nine-to-five, but then after 9 to 5, it's just like leisure, 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 leisure. It's just 9 to 5, and you think because you're really busy with your 9 to 5 job, that that means that you're not idle. And men can fall prey to this idleness um, when they don't have enough work to do outside of their 9 to 5 job, right? This is a really, this is where six days thou should labor and one you should rest is really helpful, Right? The idea of a long weekend, like the Saturday and the Sunday weekend, that's, that's not what the Scripture encourages. You should work hard six days a week, rest on the Lord's Day, and get back to work. And by work, I mean exercising dominion, leading your wife, disciplining your children, ordering your household, time in the Word and prayer, uh, time devoted to, to voluntary hardship, to ministry in your church, to discipleship, to being discipled. Get off the couch, turn off the TV, get rid of the PlayStation or Xbox or whatever you have, work out, get a hold of your health and the health of your family, build something with your hands, learn a skill, right? 
Fill your time with stuff that is productive for your discipline and for the kingdom and for God's glory. Lead your household to be productive. Lead them to utilize every gift, every asset, and every moment for God's glory. And ladies, I could give you a list about idleness as well. I'd encourage you here just to ask your husband if he has seen any idleness in your life, right? If, uh, if he's doing his job poorly, then you will have idleness in your life. If he is doing his job well, then you won't. Men, if you need courage to answer her honestly, I'll pray for you. Remember that genuine love hates evil and holds fast to what is good. So if you genuinely love her, you will tell her the truth. Christians are called to continually stoke the fires of fervent service to the Lord. What does he say? Don't be slothful in zeal. Don't be like that sloth in, in um, Proverbs who rolled on his bed like a door on the hinges. Don't be the slothful man who made every excuse not to go out and do his work. There's a lion in the street, he says. That's ridiculous. You're just making up stuff. Don't be like that. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. What he means here is like stoking the fires. What are those things called, Russ? Billows, right? That you stoke a fire with? Like, like stoke the fire of fervent devotion and service to the Lord constantly. Philip's paraphrase says, let us keep the fires of the spirit burning as we do the work of the Lord. Not the hot and the cold, the up and the down, but constantly hot and ready for the work. We're already in the work and we're ready for more and we're preparing ourselves for more. If you're, prepared, if you're a runner and you run a 10K and you want to run uh, you know, 15 miles or you want to run a half marathon, you got to start adding miles and you got to keep running the same distance to be strong. Like That's the idea. Do you know what an aga stove is? Anybody know what an aga stove is? A-G-A, aga. You should look it up. Go look it up on YouTube. I spent like too much time looking up aga stoves and now my wife wants one, but they're like $10,000 for a cheap one. An aga stove is something you'll see, um, like if you go to, to um, uh, Europe, especially in like England, in some of the old farmhouses, they would install these stoves. And basically, the aga stove is this giant. Matt, do you know what an aga stove is? I know something Matt doesn't know. Um, <laughs> is this giant stove that has lots and lots of uh, oven compartments? And the thing about the aga stove is, is that once you plug it in and turn it on the gas feed on, it's always hot and it's always ready, right? Big industrial fancy kitchens uh, in Europe tend to have these. Go, go look it up. It's pretty fascinating. And I'm sorry, guys, your wife's going to want one, all right? It, it's always hot. It's always ready. You don't have to go on, especially if you have one of those horrible electric ones with the flat thing. You don't have to go and just wait for it to heat, wait for it to heat, wait for it to heat. Like I, we were on vacation not too long ago and I was trying to cook steaks on that thing and wait for it to heat, wait for it to heat, right? Even like the gas stove, you have to turn it on, you have to wait for your pan to heat up if you're going to cook a steak or something. No, it's always hot. It's always ready. It's always at the beck and call of the chef. And he can stuff lots of stuff in there because the, the caverns are deep and it has lots of compartments and the thing is always ready, always hot. This is the idea that he's giving us here. Don't be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Always on, always ready, always prepared for the work of the Lord. This is what we are called to, friends. But so many times our life is up and down and sideways and here and yon. And of course, we understand that trials and tribulations come. He's going to talk about that here in a minute. Always on, always ready, always hot, steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain. Amen? 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 Amen. I'm not done yet. All right? Now, it's not just saying do something. He's not, he's, not, he's not just saying that you have to, hey, make sure you're not doing nothing. Sure, make sure you're not doing nothing. Make sure you're not being idle. He's also against just doing something. Not just saying you have to go be busy, 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 busy. No, what does it say? We are to be uh, not slothful in zeal, fervent in spirit, serving who? Serving who? The Lord. Serving the Lord. We have one Christian today who understands the word. Serving the Lord. Uh, when Sir Christopher Wren built St. Paul's Cathedral, which is an amazing cathedral in London, uh, a man went to view St. Paul's cathedral, cathedral as Sir Christopher Wren was building it. And as he walked through and it's being constructed, he went up to different workmen and he says to one workman who's there working on the floors, excuse me, sir, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm putting the floor in. 
He walks to another man, and he says, hey, what are you doing? And the man says, well, I'm putting the stained glass in. He walks to another man, and he says, well, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making sure the foundation is solid. Well, what are you doing? Well, I'm putting in the pillars. And he walks up to one man who was doing some menial task that he could not remember, and he said, sir, what are you doing? And the man turned to him, and he said, I am helping Sir Christopher Wren build St. Paul's Cathedral. You are helping the Lord Jesus Christ build the kingdom of heaven. Your task is not menial. Your task is not uh, subpar. God has put you in this place, in this time, for a purpose, in this place to build the kingdom of God, and you should do it with all your heart. Number five, we've got two more. CTR rejoices in hope, is patient in tribulation, and is constant in prayer. As we do the work of the Lord, we must do it filled with joyful hope, patience in our hardships, and constant in our prayers. You know, kingdom building is really hard. Like the hymn says, oft times the day seems long, our trials hard to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur and despair, but Christ will soon appear to catch his bride away. All tears forever over in God's eternal day. Oft times the sky looks dark with not a ray of light. We're tossed and driven on, no human help in sight. But there is one in heaven who knows our deepest care. Let Jesus solve your problems. What? Take it to him in prayer. Hope, a full assurance as we build the kingdom of God, as we are always ready and hot to be about the work of God, as we love each other with brotherly affection, as we outdo one another with showing honor, as we strive for this genuine love, which is really hard sometimes because people aren't very loving or lovable at times. We have this hope, this full assurance and confidence in expecting good things to come from our Lord Jesus. Peter says we have a living hope. Romans 5 says, let him through him we also have obtained access by faith and through the grace which we, which we stand and we rejoice in hope, the glory of God. We rejoice in the hope of what? The glory of God. That is our hope, that Jesus Christ sits upon the throne. He is advancing his kingdom. Do not grow weary in well-doing. Bear up under your trials. Rejoice in hope. Why? Because King Jesus is building his kingdom and King Jesus will be glorified. King Jesus will be glorified. So therefore, in all the hardships and trials, we know that our suffering is producing endurance and steadfastness and patience because God's love has been poured into us by the Holy Spirit. So we can do this work, even the most menial task, even the things that are really hard and mundane. We can love the unlovable and unlovely in our midst and show honor to them because we know that King Jesus will be glorified. That is our hope, which includes by the way, his good work in you. Amen? Because Philippians 1, 6 says, I am sure of this. I'm not guessing, he says. I am sure of this, that he who begun a good work in you will complete it at the day of Jesus Christ. Because you're going you're gonna to show hypocritical love and love and a hungry love. You're going to want to be honored and not show honor to others. You're going you're gonna to love each other with a selfishness. You're going to love evil and hate good at times. But be encouraged, be hopeful, rejoice in this hope. King Jesus will be glorified. He will finish his work, which includes finishing you. He will bring you perfectly before the presence of his glory with great joy. And number six, as we wrap it up, CTL contributes to the needs of the saints and they seek to show hospitality. Here's your two very, very tangible ways. Paul kind of steps us down and says, here, now, take this genuine love and go do these two things. Be really generous your brothers and sisters in Christ, meet their needs. Your money doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God anyway. It's on loan. You should steward it well. And one of the ways you should steward it is by giving uh, lavishly and happily to the mission of the church and the people in the pews around you. These people here in these pews should lack no good thing because we should care for them. We should care for them. This is where love works itself out tangibly, not metaphorically. Spurgeon said, you should feel for people in your pocketbook. You love them, meet their needs tangibly, monetarily. Some of you perhaps are not very generous because you are stingy. Maybe you steward your money poorly, so you really don't have any money to give, but it's because you steward your money poorly. You need to repent of that, manage your money well, and make room in your budget for generosity. Generosity is, is the, uh, the conduit for hospitality. 
It's for hospitality. You need to make room in your schedules, in your calendar for hospitality. And I don't just mean having people over and eating with them. That's a very good thing to do. You should do that. You should go out with each other after service. You should invite one another over outside of the general designated things that we have assigned for you guys and that we provide for you. Like that's how we, we build the kingdom through table fellowship and through hospitality and generosity to each other. That's how the kingdom's built, one brick at a time. This is how discipleship's done. This is Deuteronomy 6. When you're lying down, when you're standing up, when you're going about the way that you're teaching, as you bake bread, as you, as you learn from somebody how to change the oil, right? As, as you learn how to figure out your money with some of our tax guys, or, or you're getting discipleship with one of your pastors, or you're just walking, two, two young mothers walking together and encouraging each other in the Lord, this is how the kingdom is built. As we use our skills for each other, as these things are always uh, at the beck and call of King Jesus. Just because you read the gospel comes with a house key doesn't mean that you can close it up and be done with hospitality. Now you got to go put it into practice, right? so that the kingdom of God might be built in Dayton, Ohio. And it's going to take a long time for it to be built, friends. Like, I'm talking 500 years, like longer than this sermon, to be built. So we have to be in this for the long haul. God is not looking in his zeal for flash in the pan, uh, 100-yard dash Christians. He's looking for people who are willing to faithfully plod along in the everyday ins and outs of life and be faithful to the mission that God has assigned to them. And we start that mission by loving each other genuinely, abhorring what is evil and holding fast to what is good, loving one another with brotherly affection and outdoing one another with showing honor, not being slothful in zeal, being fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, being patient in tribulation and being constant in prayer and contributing to the needs of the saints and seeking to show hospitality. And if you're going to do any of this, you're going to have to get rid of yourself, die to yourself. I'll close with this uh, Lloyd-Jones quote. Because none of this is possible, guys, if you're not going to die to yourself, if you're not going to go back up to verses 1 and 2 and lay yourself on the altar of sacrifice. Lloyd-Jones says this, get rid of yourself. Get rid of yourself. You do not feed yourself in any shape or form. Do not indulge yourself at all. Self is the cause of all your troubles. So die to self, especially in a world that worships self and self-love and self-care. The church lays its life down for each other because Christ has laid his life down for us. All right? Amen? Let's act accordingly. And Happy New Year. Father, thank you for your word. Um, pray that you would take it, plant it deep in us, shape and fashion us in your likeness. The light of Christ might be seen today, like right now. In the songs that we sing, in the confession and repentance of communion, and in the fellowship that we share with one another as we get up out of our pews and walk across the aisle and talk to people and engage in their lives for the glory of the kingdom, the glory of your great name, and for our good. In Jesus' name we say, all God's people said.